0: We were young until we went, but the books stay the same. Reading, reading, our favorite books. I do think it's fitting that it's Dill who comes to this realization because, again, we don't really get too much insight into what his home life is like. It's it's very buried in this narrative but we know that there's something off It, i i don't quite follow but uh, oh
1: okay i've got it i can okay. explain
0: please do he's
1: essentially being neglected he has a mother and uh, about a year into the story she remarries it seems like his original father either ran off or is dead we don't know but she remarries and she and her husband do financially provide for dill Before that, Dill was kind of being shuffled around to his various relatives because his mom just didn't want to take care of him on her own, or maybe didn't have the financial means to do so. It's not clear. But once she gets remarried, they do keep Dill with them, uh, but Dill ends up running away and going to his Aunt Rachel's by the uh, Finches because they essentially will just leave him alone. They don't want to do anything with him. They don't want to talk to him. They don't want to see him. They don't want anything to do with him so yes he is another thread in this sort of theme of abuse neglect uh taking advantage of people who have less power than you and he certainly he tries to explain this to scout and again scout doesn't understand this she's like well why would you want to spend time with them anyways but it seems like you know (laughs) yeah he as a kid can tell that his parents don't love him or care for him and don't want anything to do with him doubtless he thinks that too is unfair and doesn't yeah. understand like what he's done to make that happen to him
0: well exactly in some ways his home life is unstable and there there's this form of abuse that he is experiencing that perhaps makes him more empathetic to when the prosecutor is cross-examining tom robinson and it is horrible it is truly Mm. truly horrible it is just one of the most openly demeaning and horrific things in this book the way this prosecutor talks to tom
1: it's actually like i was very grateful to dale for also you know getting sick because it means we don't have to watch all of it yeah i think harper lee understood that we as human beings would also not be able to sit through that
0: I, don't, I mean, but that even that, like, speaks to their white privilege. And, and that's why this, yes. this book is, like, really, it's really aimed at white audiences to, like, yes. this is the perspective that you're you're living with and you don't even realize you're carrying it with yourself. You have the option to step out of the courthouse. Tom Robinson's family doesn't have that option. Tom doesn't. The black community doesn't because this impacts them all. So Atticus has his piece of of advice that he gives to scouts um, to walk in someone else's shoes, but he actually says to walk in somebody else's skin, which I think is a very important distinction because that is a lot harder to do. And this book illustrates in a lot of ways how freaking hard that is. And I guess this is what I really appreciate about the book is that it doesn't sugarcoat it in any way or mm. doesn't try to play around it scout and jem or whoever will say explicitly racist things and talk about them but to talk about them in a very open way that allows them to to see how they might be wrong and and one of the messages of this book is to question everything that's being said mm. yeah. scout and jem are constantly questioning what's being told to them whether it's from atticus or Aunt Alexandra, or any of these other characters. And it it really challenges us to be like, okay, obviously Atticus is a good person, but there's no question that he harbors racist ideas too. Even his famous um, courtroom speech, there's this whole long tangent he goes on, about how all men are created equal. But he he couches all of that by saying that, like, this is what the Yankees up north are telling us. That all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. And the subtext of all that is saying that, like, hey, look, we all know that black people are inferior. But in the court of law, you know, they deserve this and that and blah, blah, blah. When Atticus says something That doesn't mean you have to accept it as that is the universal truth. Yeah. And I get the allure to just be like, well, Atticus is a good person because otherwise (laughs) you're faced with what Dill is experiencing, where it's just like, this is horrific and there's no way out that I can see. So when Atticus comes in as this calm, eloquent, reasonable guy saying things that sound reasonable... You you latch on to that and you're like, yes, this is fine. At one point, Scout goes to Atticus and says, hey, one of my classmates said that you're a radical. And he says that he's, quote, as radical as Cotton Tom Heflin. So Heflin was a former Alabaman senator. One of the things he did before he was a senator, he ensured that a provision was added into Alabama's state constitution that barred black residents from voting. He also supported fraudulent convict leasing that was basically just slavery by another name. It is suspected that he was a member of the KKK, and then this is not really relevant, but I thought it was funny in a very crying afterwards kind of way. So apparently Heflin was eventually voted out of the Senate, but before he left his office... He tried to launch a Senate investigation into voting fraud in an effort to overturn his laws.
1: (laughs) Ah, of course.
0: Also, apparently, he wrote a bill that recognized Mother's Day as an official holiday. So anytime you pay respect to your mom, you have a Senator Heflin to thank, I guess.
1: That's actually a great point for how racist people and racism underlie everything in America, which is also what this book is saying. (laughs) you cannot escape it but yeah
0: so i think it's very telling that atticus specifically compares himself to heflin and this is no accident all this stuff about heflin was not a secret if atticus is saying that about himself yeah okay and there's also like the and maybe we should get into this because his whole idea of the lynch mob and his reaction to like the fact that he he is constantly making this point that like hey these People who are saying hateful things to you, they're still your neighbors. They're still your friends. They're still your family. So we have to, like, be a little compassionate to them, which I think Jem rightly pushes back, especially the whole mob thing, which I think, (laughs) especially after the events of January 6th of this year, we can certainly appreciate Mm. the problem of perhaps enabling certain factions.
1: Yeah, like, I mean... To make it clear, in the scene with the mob, it seems like they are fully prepared to obviously not only lynch Tom, which is clearly their goal, but also to, if Atticus gets in their way, to kill Atticus. When Jem and the other kids arrive, they seem pretty okay about killing Jem. Yeah, so here, let me see if I can find it. They're standing there, and, and... Atticus is telling Jem to go home and take Scout and Dill with him. And he's just shaking his head and standing there. And then a man grabs him by the collar and says, I'll send him home. And we're told that he yanked Jem nearly off his feet. There's definitely this insinuation that (laughs) they are fully prepared to deal with anyone who gets in their way. Until uh, Scout's just pure not understanding what's going on shames them into realizing that they're being really horrible people. But yeah, especially after the threat to, regardless of Atticus's racist, non racist, whatever tendencies, like, the fact that he's sitting there being like, I should also forgive these people who were okay with, you know, either murdering or seriously harming my children. I don't think they should not have been forgiven, regardless. But like, it's actually somewhat alarming <laughs> that, like, I mean, it's alarming in a, a variety of ways, but you know what I mean? It's like, that's just, that's just ridiculous. Well,
0: Atticus's parenting abilities are constantly being questioned throughout this book.
1: But uh to, I guess, further down into Atticus, although I do, I do really want to talk about the horror white people because I, that's also a critique that's been leveled at this book is how it sort of may or may not play into classism.
0: Before we get into that, I do want to say to, like, give Atticus some props.
1: No, I, I also wanted to keep talking about him. So okay, yeah.
0: So all I wanted to say is that at the same time, he is literally out there ready to give up his life for a black person. Whether he's doing that on principle or he's doing that because he's anti-racist, you got to give him props that he, like, he's doing that. At a time where nobody, nobody would even consider doing something like that.
1: And to kind of double up on that and reinforce it, there's that um, guy who runs the newspaper who apparently, we we're told afterwards, was sitting up in a building nearby with a rifle ready to shoot any of the lynchers if they like actually made an attempt. And we're told explicitly that he hates black people. <laughs> yes. we're, we're told those things. Uh, explicitly so then we can mirror them onto Atticus there are some characters in here including the sheriff that guy Atticus who they believe in the current system mm-hmm. essentially and they want it to operate correctly so they believe you know the law says that everyone should get like a fair trial and the innocent should go free and the guilty should be imprisoned, et cetera, etc etc so they they do their best to uphold those things that said, they also believe in the other parts of the system, like the systemic racism, etc. You definitely see those as like an improvement on
0: <laughs>
1: the, the racists <laughs> who want to subvert the system. These guys are the, the tier about that, you know, and, and it is absolutely admirable that they are they're willing to put aside their personal feelings about black people to make sure that this is done fairly and that no one is lynched. The best thing I can really say uh, about Atticus is, of course, that, that he really does stand by his principles, but also that I think that, you know, <laughs> I know you just slightly criticized him on his parenting abilities, <laughs> but I will say that his, he at least is raising his children to be better people than he is. There's this point at which Alexandra kind of asks him to reinforce to Jem and scout the fact that they're from the noble finch family <laughs> yeah and they have all this background right mm-hmm. and so he goes in and starts doing it and then scout just starts crying because she's so confused it doesn't sound like atticus to her it's really distressing and he says you know what forget everything i just said <laughs> and i think that like uh-huh. atticus does kind of believe those things as much as he isn't as like raw about it as alexander is he does believe that that there are these tiers of people and all of those things but he his big parenting mottos are that they should ask questions and if they ask questions those questions should be answered because children like need to learn things and he lets scout And Jem, be free to become better people than he is. He's not trying to instill his values into them. And I think that's part of why... There's a lot of reasons why our society has taken Atticus and made him into this...
0: A a hero of the Top top tier. Yeah.
1: (laughs) He's not. But I think that's part of why we get that. Because obviously Scout loves her father. And she loves that he accepts her for who she is and lets her be free to come, become whoever she wants to be.
0: Let me clarify, when I said that the book is constantly questioning Atticus's parenting abilities, it's mostly satirical. It's like <laughs> Alexandra being like, how how can you let Scout wear pants? You know, things like that. Yeah, The fact that Scout is allowed to get to a point where she can say, there's only one kind of folks, folks. There's probably no greater testament to Atticus's parenting than that. There's this line that, that stuck out to me on this read where um they talk about after the trial has happened, after Tom Robinson has been killed, that everyone just moves on. or Well, all the white people move on. Yeah. But you're literally holding a testament to the fact that not everyone moves on. Like, not everyone Mm -hmm. forgets. Scout remembers. Jem remembers. And there's this really, really interesting moment with Jem. Scout mentions the court case afterwards, and Jem has this really almost violent reaction and basically tells her to shut up and not talk about it ever again. And Scout's very upset by this. She goes to Atticus to tell him and ask him why Jem acted that way. And Atticus says something like, Basically, he's processing and there will come a time Mm -hmm. where Jem will be ready to talk about those things when he's figured it out for himself. To allow Jem to struggle, that in and of itself is remarkable because we get, we don't see it, but we certainly hear it from everyone else. Like there are lines about how Atticus is just riling up the black people, which feels very familiar with the way people talk about protests nowadays. Mm hmm. And all these sort of things. And so the fact that, like, Scouts and Jem don't immediately parrot that kind of stuff really says something about Atticus. That he's, regardless of whatever his opinions about black people might be, that he doesn't enforce them onto his children. Like, in a very important thing, it's a very small detail that kind of gets lost in everything. But Scout actually picks up on this. Scout learns to read in part because Calpurnia taught her, which is just unheard of. A a black person is literate in this town is so incredibly rare. And then the added audacity that if anyone outside of the family were to find out that a black woman taught a white girl how to read, what bedlam there would be because it disrupts the order of things, right? We see a household that's not, that at least allows these kids to come to their own, their own understanding of the way the world works. Mm. So, you know, in that way, Atticus is a hero, you know, good for him. We shouldn't hold him as a paragon of anti-racism because he's not that, but he is a good parent.
1: Absolutely. And I will say, um, one of the, I guess, improvements, you could say, Uh (laughs) that Sorkin makes in the play. I would argue overall that obviously the book is better and much more complex and nuanced and uh Sorkin always does things in his little Sorkin way so <laughs> if you don't like that you probably wouldn't like the play but one of the improvements that he does make, so he eliminates Alexandra entirely from the play but what he does is he gives Calpurnia a much bigger role and there are numerous because because we're not seeing this solely through Scout's perspective because Obviously, in a play, you can't really do that. You do get numerous scenes that are just Atticus and Calpurnia talking, and therefore, you see more of that. That said, like, I do think that... (laughs) So, like, yeah, it does give more of a perspective to a black character. She gets a lot more nuance, and um, she has scenes where she gets to be angry with Atticus, and they get to really talk out complex ideas, and you see how much of a you know, unit they are in raising the kids. But that said, I do think that, like, it's, like, a hard thing to say whether it's good or not, because sometimes, like, there are times in the book where Alexandra wants to get rid of Calpurnia, and Atticus is like, no, absolutely not. She's like, family, et cetera, et cetera. And it really does feel like that whole thing where it's like, (laughs) this is my one black friend. He's like, Calpurnia, good. All the rest, yeah, yeah. you know, that is hard to really comment on positively without feeling shades of that. But yes, I think we can definitively say he's a good parent. <laughs> and, you know, we we need more people who are willing to let their kids grow their own way and not try and enforce their own issues and other things onto them.
0: Right, or at least give them the foundation where they they can operate on their own, because that th- we see the the other extreme of that, right, in this book where there's uh, Mayella, uh with yes. her father, who we should also note is actually named after Robert E. Lee, yes, which uh, very potent symbolism. But we see the opposite kind of person in that where Mayella. She's super racist, but she does seem to have... It's it's hard to say because we don't get too much background on how she actually feels about anything, but she certainly has some kind of romantic feelings for Tom Robinson, and she tries to act on them, and that is actually the biggest crime of all in all this is that a white woman willingly tried to kiss a black man. Her father literally beats her for it and possibly rapes her for it.
1: Yeah, it's we don't we don't get to see much of her because again this is entirely in Scout's perspective so all we see is the one courtroom scene, but um Right. The details we do get about how she takes care of this little Like six little flowers and how like she's the one left looking after all the other kids and that she, Tom tells us in his testimony that she's been calling him in for like a year or so to just do small chores around the house that she needs help Mm -hmm. with. And he said he did them because he felt bad for her, which is the other big crime. Like, and Sorkin's play absolutely emphasizes this, that his real, the real reason like they absolutely had to convict him even despite the evidence, and it's because he dared to say he felt pity for a white woman. But he feels bad for her, so he helps her out, because no one else is helping her. She is all alone, struggling in this situation she can't escape from, particularly because she is a woman. And I think that there is a some gender stuff at play here, too, although obviously much more subtly. But, like... It's very clear why she might have felt attracted to him. Like, this is possibly the one person who has ever been kind or nice to her. Yeah. And then we're told, like, Tom says that during her attempt to seduce him, she literally says, like, I've never, like, done anything. What my daddy does to me doesn't count. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So this is a mess. And then, yeah, she has been raised in this environment where, like, that's her daring to desire and touch a black man is unthinkable. And so, like, she's pretty pathetic on the stand. <laughs> she's still a horrible person, but pathetic. And I think you see the, like, her brain essentially fighting itself. Because, yeah, she obviously, oh, like...
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Did have some kind of feelings.
0: Yes, they- uh, sorry sorry please please go no, ahead. go
1: go 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 <laughs> you seem really excited go
0: there's this this line that has stuck with me during the testimony that tom gives apparently mayella at one point allegedly said quote kiss me back n-word end quote to me that line represents <laughs> how her brain is short wiring she has been raised with this knowledge that black people are beneath her but then she's also try she feels this romantic attraction to tom and is trying to express that and to me this that whole line really just represents the whole the whole relationship between the south and the black people who live there this is a culture that in so many ways has been influenced and made into this amazing thing by the black people who have who have been a part of it. At the same time, the South has to debase these people because of this history that they literally enslaved them. And if you try to grapple with this idea that you enslaved actual, conscious, living human beings, your mind is going to break. So the easiest thing to do is to... Try to cast them as lesser people, as in some way deserving what happened to them. They don't know how... You know, it's. I just love that line. I mean, it's horrific, don't get me wrong, but I just love it for, for how it says so much in four words. This cognitive dissonance that is ingrained in Southern culture that makes it so hard to move past anything. In order to do that, you have to dismantle this initial upbringing that has pounded into you that these people are inferior to you.
1: And I think this is probably a good time to also just talk about the class factors at play here, because I think you see those attitudes most overtly, although obviously that attitude is universal in this place, you see those attitudes most overtly from the horror white people. Like, I know that this book has come under criticism for how it portrays the lower classes, and I really don't know, like, I don't know if there'd been much depiction prior to this of lower class senators. Like, I'm trying to think, (laughs) like, Faulkner, I'm sure there's some, but it's definitely on the fringes. I I don't know how much, like, this is, the negative tropes that have come since are coming from this or how much this is drawing from other sh-. But essentially, like, there is a long history of the working class or poorer white communities being especially racist and working especially to bring black communities down. And right. this, of course, does not, like, obviously, there are many, many wealthy white people also doing that work, <laughs> like let's be clear, that the wealthier white communities specifically turned poorer white communities against the black population so they couldn't rise up against them. This was a deliberate thing that happened. So I do think it makes sense that in this book we see that playing out, that this is, the Yules live close to the black community. Like, one of the issues is that Helen, Tom Robinson's wife, has to walk by their house to get to work. And, of course, Tom had to walk back from work by the house, and that's how the whole thing happened. Things are still segregated, but they are not as segregated between those communities. And so I definitely see where the criticisms come from about how class is handled here. But that said, I I do think also, again, we see Scout, she wants to be friends with Walter Cunningham, The Poor boy who she brought back for lunch. She wants to go to Calpurnia. So she wants to break down these barriers. So that the Cunninghams in particular are brought up numerous times. Mr. Cunningham, Walter's father, is the one Scout talks to, who's in the lynch mob, who turns away. And then Atticus says that he specifically, like, uh, there was a Cunningham on the jury. And that Cunningham on the jury was the one person who fought to declare Tom Robinson not guilty and that basically because of both Scout's actions but also because he was actually sitting there listening to the trial like his mind was changed and that the cunninghams might be a family that's really been shifted by the events of what's happened and realized some of the <laughs> the problems going on i don't know like i i'm obviously coming from a different place and i absolutely agree that there is not enough work done to address class in the novel, and certainly they, like you said, the Yule's depiction is really walking that fine line of, oh, they're just, they are two seconds away from being a caricature, if they're not already. But, like, I really actually appreciated like, okay, the Cunningham should not been, have been forgiven for being in that lynch mob. Again, bad. But I did appreciate that at least we were shown a poorer family that still had, you know, they have principles as well. They have this whole thing where they're not, they don't take handouts, et cetera. Like they pay back everything. Also, they're shown to learn and change their minds. In fact, they are probably the only people in this book we see changing their minds. Can you think of anyone else? I don't think so. Uh,
0: Everyone else
1: has already decided. Yeah?
0: Maybe Aunt Alexandra, but if she does, she does not voice it at all yeah if it was the case with her it would solely be on the fact that her brother was basically in charge of uh defending tom robinson
1: right she seems to mellow out as the book goes on but i agree that we don't see a full shift
0: i i think you're right where you were saying that it's the lower classes who are more explicit in their racial animus and i think part of that is to reinforce the hierarchy they are the lowest of the lowest class. So anything that mm-hmm. they can do to establish, well, actually there are people beneath us at least. But I also think that it's the middle and upper classes of Home that are ultimately culpable for everything that happens because they constantly talk about how mm-hmm. they've turned a blind eye to the Ewols and they and they've just pushed them out. And there's this one actually pretty early on in the book, where Atticus is saying, you know, (laughs) Scout really hates school. She really wants to get out of school. Mm -hmm. And Atticus's argument is basically, well, it would be illegal for you to skip school. So you have to go to school. But she raises the very good point that the evil kid only goes to class for one day and then never shows up again. Well, why is it okay for him to not go to class? And Atticus makes this argument that, well, you know, in special cases, it's okay to look the other way and there there are exceptions to the law and blah, blah, blah. And I think this narrative shows that, no, that's a bad idea, Atticus, because what you end up doing is creating these communities that basically are at war with each other. Ultimately, the failures of all this is on the townspeople themselves, who have allowed things to reach this point that people are living in squalor, people are unable to support themselves.
1: I should mention, it's especially bad right now because it is the Great Depression. I think that also just plays into everything. As much as it's not mentioned overtly a lot, like, the Great Depression is currently going on. So that is making the Yule situation that much worse as well.
0: You can make the argument, and I think that this is part of what the narrative is suggesting that the ewels feel like, is that they are basically treated just like Black people. Certainly at this time, and one can make an argument even to this day, there's nothing more insulting for a white person than to be treated like a Black person. And so you, you foster these conditions, right, that allow this kind of hate to fester and to boil over in these moments where ultimately somebody gets killed and not that this takes away from it but like it's it's worth knowing that like tom robinson has a family he has a wife he has kids who are now Mm -hmm. now fatherless the book doesn't go into this but it's certainly fair to extrapolate that like those kids are now at such a disadvantage so much more now that they don't have their father and it it Builds on this cycle of keeping certain people down.
1: Well, I also want to add that it's just continuing the tradition of white people tearing black families apart as well, especially by taking away black men, whether that's selling families separately in terms of slavery or whether that's the incarceration of black men more recently. So I think that's a big part of it too. Um, and I also want to add to what you're saying about Bob Yule and how this is a way they can show that they are greater than black people. But like Adria specifically says that like Bob Yule went into that courthouse thinking that he would be seen as a hero who saved the town from this Mm, black man. And instead, you know, part of what angers him so much after the trial is that instead he's shown for what he is. To the entire town, whether they really care or not, but yes, yeah, so it's definitely a deliberate move on his part to try and advance his family's standing within the town, or at least his own. I'm not sure how much he actually cares about his family, but yeah, so it's a calculated act.
0: It's a, it also like the the whole idea of the lost cause, which I guess for anyone who doesn't know, the lost cause is this idea anti-historical idea that the civil war from the south's perspective was a just and righteous war and people usually tried to argue about that that it was actually about state states rights not slavery yada 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 i mean it's very telling that he's named after robert e lee where it's like he's almost fighting for this lost cause of his own respectability There was never a shred of it to begin with, because regardless of who he was as a person, it was already ordained, basically, that because he came from this family, this is who he is, and this is who he will Mm -hmm. always be. He's been stuck into that role. And you see other elements of that, of the Lost Cut. There's obviously, I think, Cousin Ike is his name. Atticus's cousin tries to argue that if they fought the Civil War again, the South would have won. Mm-hmm. But there's also, like, the most interesting example, I think, that stuck out to me is the case of Mrs. De- Debo... Debo's Debois? Uh, yeah,
1: Debois. Debois.
0: I think what you are hearing is my accent. I am
1: French. I think.
0: However you pronounce it, who is this old, miserable woman super racist the classic kind of like get off my lawn kind of person but we learned that she has a morphine addiction which she's actually able to kick before she dies and atticus describes her let me let me see if i can so atticus says uh to jem who's been forced to read stories to her uh, because he went on a rampage and destroyed some flowers of hers.
1: Because she was being a... Yeah, it's,
0: the details aren't important. The fact is, Atticus says this. I wanted you to see what real Courage is, instead of getting the idea that Courage is a man with a gun in his hand. It's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway, and you see it through no matter what. Which, you can easily transpose that to what Atticus is doing in Tom Robinson's case, which, even though the narrative tries, through Jem at least, tries to give us a glimmer of hope that Tom Robinson might be acquitted, it's basically inevitable that he will be convicted. But it's also like, this is the same kind of rationalization that is used by people who, who support the lost cause mentality. And the book doesn't give us an answer about that. About that. It doesn't tell us that Atticus is right... Or this is the way to see it. It just lets us sit with that complicated fact. It's like what we said in in uh, the two towers episode, right? You don't need hope to do the right thing mm-hmm. That's the same kind of idea, but it's really context dependent about whether that's a good or a bad thing because you can fight for a lost cause that's on the right side of history, but you're equally just as capable of doing the other, doing the opposite of fighting on the other side, and that's the that's just the contradiction of the South as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. Just trying to balance that, and it's hard, and there aren't a- any easy answers. And I- and that's something I really appreciate is that the book just lets us sit with that and and try to figure it out on our own. I don't know. There, it's so
1: yeah. No, I mean, I think especially like that conversation is complicated because like they're specifically talking about. I had the page and then I lost it. <laughs> Talking about, like, how she died free. The fact that, like, the idea of freedom is explicitly bl- brought in there, I think, is supposed to... I think you're supposed to be thinking about those things. Which is good, because I do think, like, Atticus says, like, she was the bravest person I know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, which, like, you're sitting there, and you're like, she was a horrible person. Yes, she did one admirable thing. And I think that it is... I think that what I I like about the depictions of all the racist characters in this book, for the most part, Uh other than I agree, the Yules, is that most of them are given a positive trait, and then you're shown that they're still horrible people. So you understand that racists aren't these one-dimensional characters like Bob Yule. I mean, even Mayella gets a moment of, like, human compassion or whatever. Obviously, we don't want to be venerating these racist characters, but I do think it's important to show that racists are people too. And that just because (laughs) they have admirable traits, doesn't mean that you forgive them for the racist bits. I think there's this misconception. And this was, I can't cite what book or what this was from, you know, I, along with everyone else was doing a lot of reading of articles during, you know, the past June, July time. And so this is from something, but I can't tell you what. But there's a misconception. Well, not even a misconception, but people think that when someone says you're being racist, they're saying you're a bad person. Absolutely. They're saying, like, don't be racist. That's bad. (laughs) But they're not, like, condemning you and all you stand for unless you're really being horrible. They're, like, trying to correct you so that you can learn from your mistake and grow as a human being. And I think that it's important for us to see depictions of characters who are racist but also have admirable traits so that we can realize (laughs) that that happens and hopefully move to a place where, like, someone, if someone stops you and is like, hey, like, what you just said was, like, pretty racist, like, you can be like, thank you for telling me. I'm going to reflect on that and make sure I change my ways, essentially, (laughs) like make sure that I deal with whatever like thought process caused this in my head and understand that this is not okay and fix that about myself we all need to be able to like allow that kind of growth without automatically being like oh my god she said but like I did something racist so I she's saying I'm a horrible person I'm not a horrible person say it or I'll kill your husband do it all, got him like a fish you're a good person oh thank you I think that that section with mrs dubois or dubois or whatever the <laughs> f- she is is I do wish it that's one of the few cases where I feel like it was a little too for for the reasons you said that it could also be used as an argument for like yeah the south fighting on I think it was a, I would have that's one of the few places I would have wanted a little bit more explicit conversation like I think the setting with it worked for me, but I could easily say someone taking the wrong message away from that. And like, I don't, I don't need there to like always be like a super overt message. And in fact, I think the strength of this book is that it doesn't have those. But in that particular case, because it was so complicated, I, I found it a little too opaque. Okay. But overall, yeah, that's such a, it's one of just so many interesting scenes like that where you get like <laughs> a character who can be really awful, and you get this one good thing about them. I know we're kind of moving away from the poor white people, Um, but I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the sheriff and uh, policing. Mm. Such relevance. (laughs) (laughs) yes. I thought, so there's the ending with Boo Radley, and we haven't really talked a whole bunch about what Boo Radley means in the grand scheme of things, because I think Boo Radley means a lot of things. But like, I thought it was so interesting reading this time, thinking that we see two crimes, quote unquote, and two arrests during the course of this story. And how the sheriff, whose name is, I think, Hectate, yeah. handles them is so different. So Hectate is called out to the Yules after this whole thing happens, and he examines Baela, is told what happened, and then he goes and arrests Tom and one of the things, like, Atticus specifically called out is like, why didn't anyone call for a doctor, for Mayella? Like, why why was there not some examination and some thought put into this before Tom Robinson was arrested? And, like, let's let's remind you, Hectate arrested Tom Robinson, but then seems shocked on the stand when Atticus helps him, like, put together the dots that <laughs> there's no way Tom Robinson could have done that to Mayella. Even though, like, Hectate saw both of them within, like, what, a few minutes of each other? So, like, he's an idiot. There was no reason, if he had, like, used his little brain, there was no reason for Tom Robinson to be arrested before this. It shouldn't have gone to trial, essentially. If it's fairly clear someone couldn't have done what is being said they did, it shouldn't have gone to trial. But, like, no, he absolutely, is like, takes their word for it, he arrests Tom Robinson, etc. The opposite case of, like, we see Bob Ewell attempt to kill the children, and then Boo Radley stabs him with the kitchen knife and Hectate is able to very easily put together the dots, unlike before <laughs> um, and his solution this time is to lie uh, so that who doesn't have to go to trial for killing Bob Yule, which is a moment that I think we are supposed to agree is the right course of action and like Atticus, even with his principles allows that to happen and I'm not saying that's Wrong. Yeah. He was defending two children who were Bobby was attempting to murder. But I did think it was so interesting to see the difference in how the sheriff acts when a white man is, you know, accused of a crime or has committed a crime, like he's pretty positive about this one versus a black man being accused of crime. And obviously that's also very relevant to today's side.
0: Yes. I'm going to argue. That that course of action at the end was the wrong thing to do, whether it's out of principle or not. A person has died. What also stood out to me was the concern wasn't so much that Boo Radley was going to go to court, but that, and it's very much suggested that Boo Radley, whether it's imposed on him or this was always something he lived with, he's agoraphobic. He doesn't. He's super shy. He only says one sentence i think in this entire book and it's to scout and it's just to say will you take me home but anyway the sheriff says that the reason he doesn't want to take boo radley in is that people will come by and leave presents at his door and like come to try to talk to him which the fact that boo radley would be celebrated for committing a crime where Tom Robinson is arrested on the thinnest of accusations, if Boo Radley was Black, he would not even be allowed to live before he was taken to trial. Even if he had killed Bobby Will in self-defense, it just would not have happened. And I think this is hard to say because, again, the book doesn't necessarily explicitly call it out, mm. but you can't help but see the contrast, right? Like you said. E- even, like, the... Uh, Boo Radley's initial crime of stabbing his father in the leg with scissors, like, that got brushed under the the rug, too.
1: Well, we still don't know if that actually happened. Well,
0: sure, sure.
1: Yeah, he was running around with all of those hooligans.
0: Ah, the hooligans. But he doesn't face any legal consequences for it. Whereas Tom Robinson, who did everything right, and there's actually this, this moment in the trial itself where they ask him, why did he run away? And he basically says something like, "If you were a black person, you would understand because he would have been killed, like there's no question, yeah, but again, that's not the concern of the book here. The concern is that people will want to come to talk to him afterwards and be like, "Thanks for killing that guy, buddy. He was a menace to our society I guess to to sum it up, what I really appreciate about this book is that it understands all of this stuff is incredibly messy. And it's not afraid of the mess. It's not afraid to dive into that. It would be so easy to pull a green book or to pull a the help and just be like, we're going to solve racism. You're going to leave this book feeling good about yourself. All the acclaim this book gets, it's it's well warranted because it, it does something that not many white writers have been able to do ever and Harper Lee managed to do it the first and only time she wrote a book, and that is mind-boggling to me. Props to you, yeah. Harper Lee, and f*** <laughs> your publisher for, for doing you dirty at the end of your life. I'm so sorry about that.
1: Truly. That's because like, it's like, now... Now people have this idea of, like, what happened quote, unquote, after the story that is not probably her actual idea of what happened after the story, which I think is it's tragic for her and these characters and for, like, the rest of us. Like, I have to live with knowing what happens in that book. And, like, even though I try and tell myself that's not what actually happened, like, I can't help having those those thoughts in the back of my head, you know? So, yeah, don't even look at the summary of Go Set Watchman. <laughs> Avoid it entirely. Don't let it touch you.
0: Something I want to talk about, because I think, rightfully so, most of our conversation is focused on the racial aspects of this book but something i just want to briefly mention is all the cute moments with the kids the ones that i really liked
1: they're so cute
0: <laughs> There are all these moments that <laughs> felt so true to childhood uh there's the first time scouts find something in the giving tree it's a piece of gum And she's worried that it might be poisoned because there's this rumor that all the fruits grown on, like, the trees in that yard are poisoned, so you don't eat them. But she's like, hey, it's free gum. So she starts chewing it, and (laughs) she thinks to herself, when I did not die, I crammed it into my mouth. And I thought, oh, that's a very cute child moment. (laughs) And then (laughs) there's this moment where there randomly, one winter, it, it starts snowing one day. And, <laughs> and Scout has never seen snow, doesn't know what it is. So she looks outside, and she's freaked out by it, and she yells to her dad, The world's ending, <laughs> Atticus! Please do something! Made me laugh so much. And then the last one, Scout, in her efforts to get out of school, she says a bad word, and... She gets sent home or something for it from school. So she very intelligently reasons hey, if I start cursing all the time, I'll never have to go to school. So she just like starts dropping the word damn every other word in everything she says.
1: Yeah. I think at one point she's like, pass the damn hand. It's pretty cute.
0: And that is so freaking cute. The childhood moments represented here feels so true and so accurate yeah it's great
1: i one thing that also really hit me this time like on a more personal note was like Jem and the emotional labor of the older (laughs) child (laughs) but like it's true like you see the ways in which over the course of the story he's going from like 10 to 13 the ways in which uh, naturally more gets put on him as the eldest he understands more And, like, more of that is put on him. But also, yeah, the labor of, like, having to (laughs) look after Scout, but also, like, (laughs) deal with this other on his own. I was just, like, really feeling Jem's pain. Like, I'm also the, the oldest of two. So, like, I can just remember times in my life where, like, I had to know something about, like, our current situation. You know, my sister either couldn't understand or, like, wasn't allowed to be let in on. This book does such a good job of depicting that sibling relationship in all of the, like, cute and adorable <laughs> ways, but also in the realistic <laughs> ones, too. And also just the fluctuation, which is so cute, and, like, Jem, in the beginning, is, like, okay playing with her all the time, but then gets to that stage where it's not cool to spend time with his little sister, but then also kind of eventually by the end gets to the point where, like, he has fully internalized his role as, like, older brother. I think it's commented that he very gallantly agrees to escort her to the pageant when Atticus and Aunt Alexandra can't go and is very protective of her, too. And I just thought their entire relationship and how that grows and changes over the story is excellent. And just all of their like little conversations when Scout goes to Jem to try and get explanations for things. It's very cute. Their bond is very cute. And I understand Jem's pain and suffering, so... (laughs)
0: This is not the shout-out that your sister wants to hear, but it's the one she needs to hear.
1: I mean, we're grown up now. It's different. <laughs> I also never thought it wasn't cool to spend time there, so. her. Uh, there you go.
0: Oh, uh, you're better than Jem. But also it's that's also, I think, a gender thing. It's theme, different
1: right? with two girls, yeah.
0: It's very interesting because, like you said, t- the, the case with Tom Robinson doesn't get mentioned until, like, at least in my version, I think it was like page 75 or something. And my book is 280 pages. And then it occupies almost the entirety 30, 40 pages. pages—is just devoted to the trial itself. And then it just kind of falls off after that. I don't know. It's fascinating. I, it just feels so true to life how you're just living your day-to-day routine And then suddenly there are some big moments that happen that that shake everything and then things just go back to normal.
1: Yeah, I think the fact that the last word of the book is morning, I think symbolizes that like cycle in a lot of ways. I think this book is good. (laughs) I think it's well done.
0: Oh, It
1: does childhood good.
0: Wow, how brave of you. No, I'm just kidding. This book is amazing. It's honestly even better than you remember, listener.
1: Yeah. Rereading. I now. should say, we're not the only ones who have done this. I when I was looking it up, I discovered that like apparently, like uh I think led by Oprah Winfrey, there was there's like a whole book. Or no, it's not. Oprah Winfrey is one of them. But like apparently this person, I don't know who this is, Mary McDonough Murphy. She interviewed celebrities, including Oprah Winfrey who read the novel and then like basically gave their impressions of it as children and then their impressions of it as adults. There's a whole book. It is called Scout, Atticus, and Boo. If you're interested in more people doing the exact same thing we're doing. (laughs) But yeah, I think that like it will definitely, it reads one way when you're a kid and it reads a really different way once you're an adult, especially what we've personally seen in this country since we were kids versus where we're at now. So like, yeah, if you haven't read it since high school, given another read, you might find some some new interesting ideas.
0: I'm so curious nowadays how that will be impacted for kids in high school now who are much more aware of these things Mm -hmm. than we ever were and how that will impact their reading of this.
1: I think it's hopefully going to be taught so much better than like what we experienced. I think at this point, teachers have to really engage with it in a way. It seems neither our teachers did seeing as we like don't remember it (laughs) or don't remember being taught it.
0: Yeah, I certainly hope so. And if you have babies yourself and you're going to read this book or your kids are going to read this book, like talk with them about it, because I think it's so (laughs) good. It's so good. And it doesn't shy away from tackling big things. And if you use this as a jumping off point to talk about these things, like in that way, it's super, super valuable. Uh, A hearty recommendation. We haven't we haven't like talked about recommending books that we've reread on this podcast for a while, but a big blazing recommendation from the both of us. Yeah. Go read this book again. It really is worth your time. Go read it. And if if you want to, if you don't own it and you want to buy the book, you know, there's a bookshop.org affiliate link that you can use to, to buy stuff.
1: <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm, I'm doing my little pose shilling face. <laughs> Go to our bookshop affiliate link. Imagine me just posing epically.
0: Bookshop.org slash shop slash reread podcast.
1: All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, I don't remember what we're doing next, but we'll see you next time with whatever that Indeed. is.
0: Indeed. Until next time. Hasta la vista.
1: Bye-bye. will take you